we're going to talk about today the good Christian. How many want to be a good Christian? Let me say that again. How many want to be a good Christian? You know, there's a story in the Bible, and we call it the Good Samaritan. And it's really, uh, if you will, open your Bible to Luke the 10th chapter, a familiar verse, you know, a set of verses about the Good Samaritan. I remember going to church as a little kid, and you, you know, hear about Noah's Ark, you hear about David and Goliath, you hear about a few things. One thing you hear about is, you know, the wise man built his house upon the rock, everybody remember those things. And then there was that Good Samaritan story. And uh, I didn't know what the Good Samaritan, I knew what he did, but I didn't really have an understanding. And so uh, when we look at this story, it, it's a story, and people call it the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and it's interesting, you know, the impact that name really, Samaritan, has on society today, you know, we, we have a, call it a Good Sam Hospital, for short, for Good Samaritan Hospital. And uh, it comes from the Bible, and it comes from this story. And so what I want to do is begin reading in Luke 10, 25, and we're going to go through the whole story here about what we call, or what has been called the parable, or it's not even just a parable, it's a story of a good Samaritan. And we'll begin reading in verse 25, and behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So you get this picture of this group of people here, and this lawyer stands up and says, you know, trying to test the Lord, what, what do I need to do to have eternal life? And he said in verse 26, what is written in the law, or you could say in the book? What is your reading of it? So in other words, he asked the man, well, what's in the book? What, what do you see that's in there that you need to do to get it? Isn't it interesting the Lord just didn't say, this is what you need to do. He said, what do you think? You know, as Christians, often we already know what to do in situations. And maybe sometimes we'll ask for something and say, well, what am I supposed to do? And sometimes people already know what to do. They just don't want to do that. So maybe if we tell them what to do, it might be different. And they'll go, okay, I'll try that. But how many of you know if you know what to do, you don't need to ask somebody else, what, what should I do? And here this man says, you know, what do I need to do? So he answered. So even though he asked the Lord, the Lord said, well, you know, it's what's in the book. And then he said, so, so what do you see in there? And he answered and he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, your inward man, your emotions, your mind, your actions. And then he said, and your neighbor as yourself. In other words, all your effort, everything that's in you toward God, and then your neighbor as yourself. In other words, you don't treat others around you less than you would treat yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. 
In other words, you already knew what to do. You already had it down. You know what path to take. And he said, you answered rightly, do this and you will live. Now you understand this is under the law before salvation was given, but he was asking a question knowing there was something missing. He said, what do I need to do? So verse 29 says this, but he wanting to justify himself. So this lawyer is like trying to, there's something maybe not exactly correct. And maybe there's something he recognizes I'm missing. Because if you're just or right or doing it right, you don't need to justify yourself. But he knew there was something there. And so he said, what do I, you know, he said, he said, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? That's a good question. I know my neighbors. Some of them, the only acquaintance I have with them is I wave to them as they go by. And they drive into their garage, close the garage door behind them. That's it. That's my neighbor. But is Jesus talking about your neighbor being just the person who lives on one side of you or the other in your neighborhood or the apartment above or the apartment below or wherever you live? Is that what he was talking about? And so he said, who is my neighbor? So it would seem by what he's saying, his interactions with people who were around him may not have been jiving with what he knew. And so then Jesus answered and said, and I like how Jesus did this. He said, a certain man. So even though it says a parable if your Bible has it, it has a little thing. It says the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, it's written in the people who uh, printed the Bible did that for reference sake. But it's not a parable. Because parables, he would say, were parables. And uh, other things, when he said a certain man, he was talking about a certain man. And he was, like when he talked about a certain rich man and a certain poor man in Luke's gospel in the 16th chapter and how uh, they both had different kind of lives in the earth and, and one of them died and then the other died and, and then it talks about that they went to, one went to a place of torment and, or, or hell and, and he, it's, it's not a parable. He said a certain rich man. So, because sometimes people say, well, that's a parable. There really isn't a hell. Well, the Bible talks about hell. The Bible talks about a lake of fire. The Bible talks about eternal judgment. And it goes on and on. And so sometimes people say, well, you know, that's not a literal story. It was a parable. He was trying to get a point across. But no, he would say, now learn the parable of the sower. And that's important because we can see there were religious people here, and this guy is trying to justify something, and the Lord is about to share a certain story with him that he is going to be able to identify with, and it is going to challenge him. It's going to challenge the religious status quo. It's going to challenge 
uh, people who go to the synagogue, or we would maybe say today, people who go to church. And he is about to tell a story that is going to be really challenging. And notice this in verse 30. Then Jesus answered and said to him, Now remember, the man wants to be justified for his actions. Jesus is about to share something that could be challenging, and we'll see. A certain man, not a parable, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothes and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. So, we know this, we, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, this Jericho to Jerusalem uh, stretch. We know that in the Bible that King David spoke of this place and he, he talked about it as like the travels of life and, and the, the journey of life and what the journey of life looks like. And he talked about it, and this place here from Jericho to Jerusalem was a familiar thing. So when Jesus started saying there was a certain man who traveled, uh, and he was going along, and he was on this path from Jericho to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to Jericho, it was kind of a valley area, and it had, you know, big rock upcroppings or different things, and and it was called the valley of the shadow of death. And that's why, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. They knew this valley of the shadow of death, which is from Jerusalem to Jericho, was a great place for criminals to hide out. And if you're going to travel there, you're going to kind of have to come ready and uh, people feared making this journey because though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Jericho to Jerusalem trip, don't fear evil, God's with you, he'll protect you. Well, this guy's going along and he goes down this path and uh, he gets robbed. He gets mugged. It's like a picture of life. And uh, we can travel in this world and be protected. One thing you just have to do is keep fear out. Repel fear. Don't let fear get in because it can open up the door to other things. And so here it says this, this guy is traveling along and he stripped uh, him of his clothes, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So this guy got a beating. He was walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and they left him right there, the people who were criminals, the people who had jumped him, the people who had mugged him, and they didn't just take his wallet and take his cell phone and take you know, his computer bag. They beat him to where he's half dead. And it says now, by chance a priest came down that road or down this path. And when he saw, he passed by the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. I mean, he went, whoa, 
So first you got a priest who observes and just, he doesn't seem to stop and look. He just, well, we got, we got somebody here who's got some problems. They look half dead. We're in the valley of the shadow of death. This is like a picture of life. There's a lot going on. I got to keep marching. And he just went whoop right around him and kept going. The Levite, uh, who is different than a priest, and it's interesting that Jesus uses these two people. Because a priest is one who does worship and does stuff in the temple. He would be like the religious person of the day that everybody's looking at. And a Levite was one who uh, would do service, and uh, but he would assist the priest. So you could say these were like churchgoers. It was like, like the minister and the minister's helpers and all these people serving. You know, these are the ones who you look to and they you, you go to, to the temple, you go to Jerusalem, you go wherever... These are people who serve. These are the religious people. And the first one that goes by just is like, I got no time to slow down and just passed right by. At least the other one kind of went, whoa, we got a guy here who looks like he's dying. He's been mugged, looks at him, and then crosses over to the other side and heads on his way. Look at verse 32, likewise a Levite, so this is one who assists in the worship and, and the service of the priest, and when he arrived at the place, came and looked, and then passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, and how many of you know everybody's journeying in life? Everybody is. And likewise, and what are we talking about? Really, we're talking about back then, how do you get eternal life? But we know how to get eternal life now. We get it by receiving Christ. So you could update this story to our day and talk about how to live out eternal life and how to help other people get eternal life. And he says right here, verse 33, but a Samaritan. Why does he use a priest? Why does he use a Levite? And why does he use a Samaritan? These three people in what we know from the Bible as the valley of the shadow of death a rough, treacherous travel. You know, life can be treacherous for people. At different times in life, life can be better, or different areas it can be better. You know, our society has kind of been in decay, and so it makes some areas more treacherous than others. So you could say, this fits us today. But he said, look, there's this real religious person who serves then there's this person that would be just maybe underneath them and they assist them and, and, and uh, they, they serve at church too or in the synagogue. And now we find a Samaritan. Now remember, 
at the beginning of the parable, if you have a Bible at the top, it'll say the story or parable of the good Samaritan. The good Samaritan. Big deal. We've heard that all our lives. A good Samaritan. A good Samaritan. For Jesus or anybody to say anything like that, turn to John and then we'll come right back there. John's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Very interesting that he, you know, that, that we would use that term, that it would be repeated. There was a Samaritan really that did good. And he was a good Samaritan, and, and Jesus used him in this story. And uh, John's Gospel, the fourth chapter and the ninth verse. Many people know this story. One day Jesus had been, uh, you know, doing ministry, and then he got tired, and he went by this place, Jacob's Well, and uh, his disciples went into town. Jesus is resting there. And Jesus is thirsty. They're going to get food. And then this woman comes who is a Samaritan. Now, she's not a good Samaritan. And technically, Jews didn't believe Samaritans. None of them were good. So to call him a good Samaritan is like, whoa, a, a good Samaritan? Why were they not a good Samaritan? Or why were they a good Samaritan? Why were Samaritans bad? Well, you, you could say it like this, you know, like let's say there, that a um, certain area is bad or tough. You know, I'm from Southern California and Compton has a name. Oh, they're from Compton. Well, that makes you go, whoa, Compton. You know, or or East L.A., or wherever, that's where they're from, you think, whoa, what is their affiliation? So just to bring up the word Samaritan, it, is, it denotes something. And really what a Samaritan denoted was somebody who kind of had veered from the faith and believed a different way. And, you know, we live in a society where there's people with all kinds of beliefs, but these were people among them, around them, who had contrary beliefs. And, you know, sometimes people don't realize the value of belief and the, the foundation of belief and where belief is formed from. And uh, they think, well, everybody's good and there's all different paths. Well, there are a lot of paths. And they say, well, all paths lead to heaven. Well, I believe all paths lead there, but not all paths lead to eternal life. In other words, everybody's going to stand before God, but not everybody's going to live eternally with God. There is a hell, and there is a heaven, and truth matters. Truth matters for freedom. Truth matters for liberty, in not only in society, but our personal spiritual walk. Truth is valuable. And the Jews knew this, and this was ingrained into them. Like if you date, you don't date somebody who's not a Jew who doesn't have the same beliefs. Or you can end up with their idols, and you could end up following their false gods. And it was just ingrained into society because the Jews had failed often in this area of drawing cold, starting to worship things they shouldn't, starting to serve things they shouldn't. So 
Jews realized because it was ingrained to them, I need to be careful who I hang around with, what I feed on, listen to, because the truth is super important. And so when we're talking about a Samaritan, we're talking about somebody that, um, that doesn't have a good reputation. Let's look. Verse 9. Then this woman of Samaria said to him, the fourth chapter of John, and said to Jesus, uh, uh, how is it that you, being a Jew? So we've got a Jew and a Samaritan. Now the priests were Jews, and the Levites were Jews, and Jesus is a Jew. And here we have a Samaritan, and she said, how is it you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? Just, just water, a cup of water, just a little bit of water, that's all, all I'm asking for. They were so protective and thought so against these people. I'm not even going to, we won't even ask to drink a water. We just don't want to be contaminated by them or their beliefs or anything. How can you ask me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus says, a Samaritan helped this person in the valley of the shadow of death when this priest and Levite wouldn't. Now let's look at verse 20 and we'll see in some detail, we're skipping through some stuff, but one of the reasons why they, these compromising whatever people, and you can start seeing here there's the religiously correct and the religiously incorrect, and the religiously incorrect is helping somebody that the religiously correct should be helping. Notice this. Verse 20. This the woman, after she's starting to realize this Jesus is spiritual. He, he's powerful. He knows things from God. Because had, he had just revealed things that nobody would have known. So the woman switches, you know, have you ever been there before talking to somebody and they're talking all crazy or whatever, then they find out you're a Christian and all of a sudden they become religious with you. Anybody ever been there? It's a little easier for me now that I'm a pastor because, you know, you, they tell them you're a pastor and all of a sudden it's like, praise the Lord, you know, from cuss words to praise the Lord. You think, where did we just come from? But, you know, there's a switch. Well, this lady has been with one man, another man, another man, five of them, and then the one she's living with right now is not even her husband, and she's just sleeping with them and living with them. And the Lord reveals this by revelation knowledge of the Spirit. And she all of a sudden goes, whoa, this dude is a prophet, and uh, he starts saying, listen, I could give you living water. You'd never thirst again. And he's going into all this. So all of a sudden, the woman switches from talking natural and wondering why you will talk to me, being of your faith, and I'm of this other belief. 
And we know that we're not allowed to deal with each other. Or at least you guys don't deal with us. And uh, he says to her, verse 20, or actually she says to him as he's starting to talk and opening the door for conversation, and she's now waxing religious. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and the Jews say that in Jerusalem... The place where one is where one ought to worship. Notice, this is real interesting. That a Samaritan said, "We worship over here," talking to Jesus, and but she knew enough that that you guys do your worship in Jerusalem. That's real important. Well, for doctrine, it was important in those days but also for this story. Let's read on. We believe one way, you believe another way. And it says, in, you guys say in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship God. Then he starts to set the order of a new kind of worship of worship in spirit and truth is what we do in our day and age. And he was setting the table. But it's interesting, they have this discussion, and uh, she starts explaining, we totally believe different. We know that you don't talk to us because we have gone a different way in our belief. We know you worship in Jerusalem. And uh, you guys won't even deal with us. So Jesus takes this parable. Go back there and we're going to look at something to where we were about this good Samaritan. So Jesus is saying this priest and this Levite, as they are going from Jerusalem to Jericho, run into the same man who's been robbed and beaten the first one just kind of walks around. The other slows down and looks, then walks around. But isn't it interesting? They are the religious people of society. They're coming from Jerusalem, going to Jericho. Where do they worship? Where do they worship? We already learned in Jerusalem. This is what these people do as service and acts. This is what they do for life. They're a priest. Could they have just left their worship and headed back home or back to this other city, Jericho? They had just been doing their acts of service, one of them as a priest, the other assisting the priest, and they have just been doing this religious act in church or in the synagogue and in the temple, and now all of a sudden uh, they're done with church and uh, they're heading along and they see a person in great need and they go, I don't want to get involved in that. Who had the answer here? Ultimately, all of them had the answer, but who should have been driven the most? The Samaritan? 
You know, it's a dangerous thing to overlook the needs of people because sometimes the people that do assist bring something that can be eternally detrimental to the person that needs assistance. What do I mean? A, a priest, one who's in church, you could say, he should know the answers. The Levites should know the answers. Now you've got a Samaritan who the, this priest and this Levite would have nothing to do with because they know their religious beliefs are wrong. How they worship, how they seek after things. And even Jesus said to that woman, he said, you worship what you don't even know. He said, your worship is wrong. So that means not all worship is right. And Jesus called out a Samaritan and said they're not right. What happens if a Samaritan helps a hurting person and the person that's hurting then goes, wow, I was helped. What, what does that do for the hurting person? They may open their life up, not just to the Samaritan, but to the Samaritan's belief. And opening up, you know, because mercy and compassion had been shown by somebody who maybe shouldn't have shown it as much as somebody else, opens this Samaritan up to, or not Samaritan, this person, and could have been a Jew, to a Samaritan's belief system. Let's read on. Everybody here? Verse 33, But a certain Samaritan journeyed, came near. Now remember, we call him a good Samaritan. Other Samaritans we read about, they don't get a title of a good Samaritan because Jews have no dealing with them. And Jesus is using this Samaritan. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, meaning this beat up, robbed person. And when he saw him, he had compassion. You know, Jesus was compelled by compassion and really affected people. Really, the thing that slows us down in life to be a help for others is expressing compassion. It's opening ourselves up to the love that's actually in us as believers. We can have love in us, but we can get so busy in our mind that we think, well, I've been doing my religious duty, I've been in Jerusalem, I'm going to Jericho, Get out of my way and forget the person who's in need. And then the other person who comes along with the wrong belief that actually could do harm. And think about it. It sounds weird. Physically bring help and spiritually do harm. And so it said he went, verse uh he had compassion, verse 34, so he went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he sent him, or set him on his own animal, 
brought him to an inn and took care of him. So we see this guy just didn't bandage. He started giving effort to help this man recover. What was Jesus trying to get across here? There's a number of things he was trying to get across. But if we looked at it today, we could see here from this story that we should care about people who have been beat up by life, who have been robbed by life, who are empty in life, who are laying on the wayside, and they may not look physically damaged, but they can be emotionally and spiritually damaged. You just have to sometimes slow down and look and sometimes slow down and listen. And what's interesting here, that Jesus didn't just say he put a Band-Aid on him and poured a little Bactine on him, you know, and squirted it on him and said, there you go, and went on his way. He actually helped him up on his feet and helped him get going again. Jesus was saying that should be the responsibility of Christians. Not that we're going out and trying to find somebody who's wounded physically per se because there's probably not you know with with cell phones today every one of us if we saw somebody beat up on the side of the road we'd at least drive to the other side and call 911 you know what i mean we'd be like woo get away from them but i'll call 911 for you you know what i mean but he's basically saying listen this person got involved he's saying if you look at it from a spiritual standpoint there's people who uh don't need to just be looked at and go oh the poor thing and then keep going but they need help they need help getting up and they need somebody to follow up on them and say hey let's go with god and somebody to walk with them notice this and he took care of him in verse 35. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, which is some coins, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. In other words, this guy uh, was looking out for his well-being. What was Jesus saying? Don't just help people, look out for people's well-being. And you could say it, look out for their spiritual well-being. So which of these three do you think, now remember this is a guy wanting to be justified, and he gave a multiple choice answer. One, two, and three. A priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. From appearance, a priest is the pinnacle of religion. A Levite is right up there in the service, so you could say he serves in church. Maybe the priest is the pastor. And then the Samaritan, who doesn't go to church, who's in false religion, but is willing to love somebody. Now remember, this man's wanting to justify himself. And he said, there's three of them, you get to choose. Well, most people would think, well, the, the best is the pastor for sure. Okay, I've got the microphone, I'm voting. You know what I mean? And then, then we put the Samaritan, well, way down there. Because they, they're false people. 
I wonder if sometimes God looks at the heart and goes, it's not just serving, it's serving and loving. And he said here in verse 37, he said, this the guy's answer, the one who showed mercy or kindness or love on the him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Turn to 2 Corinthians 5, and we're going to close over here in this set of scriptures. Go and do likewise. We can see here, salvation had not been paid for when this occurred. So we don't work for our salvation, and we don't love to get salvation. We don't help others to get salvation. We know now, because even Jesus in the one story we were talking about, said that the time is coming where you won't just go to Jerusalem, but the true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. And he, and he talked about earlier how people have to be born again in this day and age we live now. But he said in the day and age we live now, once you're born again, he said that in the third chapter of John, several verses later he said, here's the rule by which we live by once we're born again. 30-something verses, 31 verses, 30 verses later. He said, a new commandment for this new way of life I'm giving you that you love or be merciful and compassionate to other people. In other words, care about humanity and lost and dying humanity. Is doctrine important for sure is the truth important for sure but boy we sure don't want to be traveling from the temple or from a religious service possibly like the priest and levite were doing going down the valley of the shadow of death or through life come across somebody who needs some but something we've got the answer we've been in the temple but we walk to the other side. The only way the person gets helped is if we confront them and help them. Now, this does not mean that, you know, when you go down the road, if you see a homeless guy on the side of the road, you better put change in there. No, that's not what he's saying. Are you with me? You know, don't, don't be driven by guilt and don't be driven by shame. Many... Religious things can be that way. I mean, there's even things like on Facebook or social media that say, if you love God, then you'll repost this. Oh, I better repost it then, or I don't love God. I don't repost those because you're not going to shame me into reposting something. That's not the motivation in God. Yeah, well, I love God, so I better redo that. Might be true, might not be true. I don't know. But that is not the motivating factor. The motivating factor is we do things out of love, and that doesn't mean we just give change when we come to a corner. Because we don't know what brought them there. You know, and not, not to be mean, not to say we shouldn't or should, I'm, and not to be cynical, but I mean... I remember watching things when I lived in Southern California and they would interview people or follow them off the corner and they'd go back and they'd drive away in a real nice car. 
And they said, we make more money here on the corner than we do working a job. This is why we do this. Somebody's like, I'm going to go get my quarterback. And, and you understand, I'm not trying to say we should or we shouldn't. But I'm just saying, if we look at this from a spiritual standpoint, there are people who have needs. And they, they need help. They need somebody to love them, to show mercy toward them, to be there for them. That doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. That doesn't mean we, you know, just open up our lives and whatever will be, will be. That's not what I'm saying. But there is an element of there are people that are half dead and need the Lord. Are you with me? And if a Samaritan goes and shows love and the people who really know love don't, there are multiple pitfalls to that. You get what I'm talking about? And so here, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ, or the mercy, the compassion of Christ, compels us. In other words, what, what should drive us in life? The love of Christ, what, His love how he loved, who he loves. But it says, for the love of Christ compels us because we judge this, that if one died for all, then all died. So really, it's not just one person who's beat on the side of the road. It's people everywhere that need a Savior. And he said, we can't just keep passing them by we should be driven by and compelled by love. And what does love compel us in? Well, the same thing in the same way it compelled Christ. He realized humanity had a great need that they could not meet on their own, so he died for all of humanity. And basically, he's saying that same love won't drive us to the cross to be crucified, but it should drive us to help people so they can know the Lord and not just give them a bandage, but help them on their journey. Jesus said that we are to be disciples and we are to make disciples. And the message and the motivation of love is what does that. Not just religious motivation. 